If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Who out there is ready for the weekend? I know I am. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. Um, as always, I have two sides of our listeners today. I have my Voice America listeners that are tuning in via uh, Voice America, and then we have our LinkedIn Live viewers. So welcome, everyone, to another episode. We have lots to talk about today. Um, I wanted to start off and just talk about John McAfee for a minute, a legend that takes many of us who have been in the industry for more than 20 years. It takes us way back in history. As everyone probably knows now, he was found dead in a Spanish prison. I never had the opportunity to meet John, but I've heard much about him, and I heard he was quite the character a very controversial figure in the tech world. His company released the very first antivirus software. So McAvee has actually been always very near and dear to my heart. I don't know if any of you guys have somebody that um, a person or a company that gave you a break in the industry or your career. Mine was actually McAfee. 20 plus years ago when I was starting um, up my first company, I worked with McAfee on some local events here in St. Louis. Back then we were, it was when HIPAA laws were just coming out. So we were doing some HIPAA conferences and we were doing them locally here. They took a chance on me. They asked me if I would do a road show and they wanted me to put a bunch of vendors together and do these regional conferences. They put up the funds and off my career went. That was the beginning of how I got started putting on technology events, which has, you know, uh, morphed itself into cybersecurity and so on. And here I am on this radio show with you. So rest in peace, John McAfee. I know there's lots of controversy going on with how he passed away, but I definitely wanted to give a shout out and my condolences to his family and that organization. And he you know, definitely is a mogul in our industry. So today's show, we're going to talk about much. We have lots to talk about disinformation, misinformation. We're going to continue talking about ransomware and much, much more. But before I bring in my first guest, I want to take a, a few minutes and talk about some misinformation and some disinformation of something that's actually happening with FutureCon right now. We have a very, very um, loyal following. And as many of you know, I am the CEO of FutureCon events. We put on cybersecurity events all over North America. And as I mentioned, we have uh, loyal followers, attendees, sponsors, partners. One thing that I would never do to betray anyone would um, betray their privacy, nor would any of my team at FutureCon. So there is a company out there and they are called E-List App Henders. And I'm going to have Megan post that in the chat box. I encourage anyone watching to comment on this 
and keep an eye out for this company um, because they've done a little bit of disinformation and misinformation with some um, information about FutureCon. The company has been emailing my clients, associates, attendees, and so forth, saying that they are selling this list from FutureCon. They're saying it was from our Austin-Dallas event, which, first of all, we've never had an event in Austin. And they're saying there's a 1,000 attendees on this list, and they're selling it for $500. Um, we don't have a 1,000 attendees that come to our events. We are a regional conference. We normally have about two to 300 people that attend our events. My first thought, I was thinking, oh, geez, we've had a data breach but that has not been proven to be true. They emailed a few, uh, I'm, I'm sure they've emailed tons of people, but a few friends of mine in the industry sent me the email that they received. I immediately called the company because um, there's, there's a girl's name and then there's a guy's name and at the bottom of it, there's a phone number and it says they're out of Texas. So I call the phone number and it's a fax line. So my colleague, um, she decided to do a little more intel for me. So she asked the person to send over a sample list. She said, hey, I I'd like to buy that list for $500. So they sent her about five names with complete information, address, phone number, email. Well, I knew three out of the five of them. So I suspect they went and looked on my website and grabbed a few of our keynote speakers and they made up the information. They made up the email addresses, they made up the phone numbers. So if anybody would pay this $500, they're gonna get bad information. So um, the company's a scam, but they're a real company. They're an actual company, a legit company. We're still trying to track down more info. Um, so just be aware, uh, don't buy that list. FutureCon does not sell list. And if you buy that list, you're just going to get a lot of bad information. It's not real. Again, this is just another this is just another issue we deal with in our industry on a daily basis. This is a minor attack on FutureCon, but I take it seriously because our mission, along with all of our supporters and all of you guys that are tuning in, is to stop these type of bad actors. So that takes me straight into welcoming today's guest. I have Michael Manrod. He's the Chief Security Officer from Grand Canyon Education. Um, so, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kim. Uh, appreciate the invite to be here and excited to have some great conversations today. And wow, what a lead in with, uh, with you know, misinformation and, you know, fraudulently, fraudulently selling lists of what turns out to be not real data. Um, boy, I'll tell you, there, there's every level of fraud we deal with from the, the complex stuff that's newsworthy that we talk about here down to just simple petty crime and distastefulness. Yep. 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 Awful. You know, and I get those type of me because of the business I'm in. I get, oh, my gosh, hundreds of emails of people trying to sell me less. I just I just um, erase them because I know it's just bad information. But when I saw my company name on there, you know, that that's bad on us because it makes it look like we're selling our attendees names. So we'll definitely, you know, get the word out there. I don't want to post it too much mm -hmm. yet because this person is still kind of I'm trying to track down this person. You know, I'm trying to track down the company so I can put my attorneys on them. 
But um, so, yeah, before we dive in, because I do want to talk a little bit about the difference between disinformation and misinformation. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about Grand Canyon education and what you guys do and what your role is there? Yeah, absolutely. So I lead uh, cybersecurity for Grand Canyon education. We're an educational services provider that provide uh, provide a variety of back office services to GCU and via Orbis Education to many other institutions. And then obviously we're closely affiliated with GCU before GCU became an independent nonprofit university again. So we work with them uh, very closely. Um, in terms of my role, it's, it's a mixture of obviously my number one job is to protect Grand Canyon and all the affiliated institutions we work with. Um, to whatever capacity comes in scope. But the other thing that uh, the other thing that's really my passion and really what gets me out of bed every day in this role, excited to start the day, is getting to do outreach, getting to work with students. You know, our team's been built up largely from students that we've trained and interned and hired and uh, and then collaborating with the academic side to really help make relevant curriculum relevant labs, relevant ideas. So we work together a lot. And then of course the, 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 uh, the uh, regular standard uh, disclaimer, um, you know, these views are my views only and not the views of Grand Canyon. Um, well, we appreciate you being here today and we have so much to talk about. I have so many questions. Um, Mike was actually our keynote speaker. Was that last week or was that last week? already or was it two weeks ago time yeah, time week, all yeah. morphs into one yeah. long day it seems like but um why don't you tell our viewers what your topic was and what you covered and then we'll kind of take off from there thank you yeah so the topic i covered in FutureCon, and it was a really fun talk for me something that's been on my mind for about a little over five years now is misinformation, disinformation, and information warfare in, in this modern new paradigm we have where everything's social, everything's online, everything is vastly interconnected, information moves quickly. So what does that mean? You know, obviously misinformation and disinformation aren't new. Those concepts have been around for, for as long as we have documented history um, all the way back to Sun Tzu Art of War, talking about you know the the, uh, the role of deception and warfare. Obviously, there's some attribution questions about those texts in and of themselves, but we can all agree that they're old. So, um, but it's different today, and there's obviously misinformation where people mistakenly portray something as untrue, and it spreads like wildfire. That happens all the time, and we've had uh, myth mythbusters and urban legend debunking type efforts going on for quite a while about that. But then there's disinformation. You know, what happens when someone goes out of their way to craft a message that's not true or that manipulates the truth in a way that's basically not true to achieve their a goal or objective and often not a very nice one. So, you know, what it, it really was the talk of why is this happening? How, how does this happen and where, how do we need to think about this problem if we want to ever gain traction in being more successful at stopping disinformation campaigns? 
So I just wanted to take a moment and welcome some of our guests, Nate O'Reilly, who is a, a deaf ops guru. Thanks for tuning into the show. Um, we love our uh, we love our listeners shouting out. So thanks for being here, Nate. I, I know we have a lot of listeners. So so let's. Um, can you give us an example? I mean, I know you just said what um, misinformation and disinformation. So, so take my example of me opening the show and talking about these scammers trying to sell our list. Okay, so that's misinformation or is that disinformation? And then what is misinformation and what's disinformation when they're sending bad lists? That's not true. So let, let's break it down to on a really basic scale and then kind of climb up a little bit on that. Well, that's a really great, it's really great to have a real world example to dissect. And obviously there's some larger geopolitical type examples we can touch on a little bit, but let's start with that one. Um, so it could be misinformation to one person involved and disinformation to another. Clearly somebody in there is outright lying that there's a list of names that came from an Austin, Texas event when you've never done an event in Austin, Texas and that a thousand names or so came from Austin, Texas, if you've never done an event with a thousand attendees. So clearly somebody's making something up. Often there's information chains though. So there could be somebody who's selling these lists, generating the emails to them, they may be spreading, you know, to them it may be misinformation because they're just picking up something and running with it. Um, but somebody in there lied and I would really just characterize the whole thing as disinformation. And while the purpose or intent may not be to destroy FutureCon or damage FutureCon so much as to make a quick buck by fraudulently representing something as something it's not, it's still deceptive. So can you give it, so, so let's go a little, let's go into something that's bigger than FutureCon and give us some examples of where we see some misinformation and we see some dif disinformation and, and, and how would you, you know, separate them when we go up to more geopolitical um, activities going on? So when we, when we take it from something small, uh, like your great opening example and take it to something more real and meaningful, um, the disinformation campaigns we have impacting our society are, are numerous, they're divisive, and we see the effects of those play out to such a degree that we're, we're seeing polarization. My, it's, it sounds like I lost uh, Mike. Well, it sounds like we lost Mike for a minute. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but I think he'll be back in the show. So for those of you that tuned in late, a couple of things that I want to talk about again before Mike comes back. Um, another lovely tech problem. Um, and that would take me right into um, who's ready to go back out to live events. Who is over this virtual stuff that we're doing? These are the type of conversations that we generally have um, on our shows and on our cybersecurity events. So um, often we have these technical difficulties. So not sure where my uh, colleague Mike is, but we are FutureCon. We are getting ready to go back out into real live events. So we are launching our first event in Dallas and our keynote speaker is going to be George Finney, who is the chief security officer from um, SMU. 
So we are excited. It's going to be at the House of Blues, and then we're going to be traveling to Kansas, and we have a live event there. And then we are going to go over to Ohio, where we have a great panel of CISOs and some great keynote speakers. So curious out there, if you had the option to do a uh, hybrid, if we're, we're going to be doing these hybrid events with live live guests and virtual guests would you come live are you ready to get back out there or are you going to keep logging in like this and be um virtual i would love to hear your thoughts on that and mike is back excellent uh glad to be back um uh, not sure what happened there but uh um, where did you lose me, Kim? Well, you were, I, I'm not exactly sure you kind of froze up, but it took me right into the conversation that I was having, you know, who's ready to go back out to live events because of these type of situations, these technical difficulties that we've been facing over a year, but you know, times have changed and it's pretty acceptable for these kind of things to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not acceptable, but people just empathize with it because this is the world we're in. But the good news is we're getting ready to get out of this virtual world. But this radio show will still happen. But we will probably do a lot of them at our events. So very excited about that. So you were talking about with the, I, my last comment to you is when we move up the scale to geopolitical disinformation and uh, misinformation. Can you give us a few um, examples of what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's perfect. I gave a complete explanation thinking I was talking to everybody there for a bit. But I will say the one thing about live events I like is unless Thanos is involved, I've never blipped out of existence and back into existence on a podium. So there is that. But disinformation, you know, when we really look at it, the societal impact right now is huge. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of contention in our society. And the fact of the matter is there's a whole mix of actors and adversaries trying to stoke the flames of that for their own agenda. But if we really want to look at this story, a good place to go is back in time to 2016 to a lot of the, the disinformation campaigns and cyber attacks and critical infrastructure attacks that Russia launched on Ukraine um, right around the time, um, right around the time they, they invaded and did a lot of other bad things there, right? Or, or obviously we think they're bad here. Um, so in that playbook, it was the first time we've ever seen a layered approach with you know, guerrilla warfare, conventional warfare, cyber warfare. There was a bit where the power grid was taken out a couple times, uh, websites taken down, and then obviously misinformation, disinformation to bring up that minority loyalist population within Ukraine that was actually supportive of what Russia was doing. So if we now look, we have, we have everything from bots to, to social media that are being weaponized in this way uh, in our own society over the last four or five years. Obviously, what do we do when we're releasing new ideas in software? We test them out in QA, then we roll them to prod. Obviously, it seems like that's what some of our adversaries are doing, test things out, roll, then roll big. Um, but you know, when we really look at it, we could draw a lot of interesting parallels uh, between the way malicious software work and malicious ideas may work. But I'll pause there for a moment and, and give you a chance to interject there, Tim. 
Well, no, I think you're on a really good roll. And it kind of brings me into, you know, when, when we're talking about cyber criminals and the information warfare on our society, you know, where do you see this being evolved? I mean, we've seen so much already this summer going on this whole year. I mean, 2021 has been an action packed year and we're only halfway into it. So, um, so why don't you talk a little bit about that as far as um, this information warfare on our society and how it's affecting, you know, the citizens of the United States, the citizens from Russia, the citizens from China. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot there to unpack and it's, it's a fun, fun conversation to have, if not a little bit scary and unnerving. So I guess where I'll start with that is we have a few parallel tracks going. On one hand, we have pure nation state uh, cyber intrusion attempts, which obviously we've seen a lot of activity from, from Russia, from China, from Iran, from North Korea, a, a lot going on there. And you know, we kind of ended last year and came into this year in the after went, aftermath of a really, really big incident where SolarWinds, a monitoring platform, was compromised, the company was compromised, their dev pipeline their dev and release pipeline was compromised and a backdoor was introduced into the software that was then used as part of a, you know, an, an advanced persistent threat style kill chain that, that for the targets that were SolarWinds customers that this adversary, presumably Russia, uh, you know, APT29 wanted to get to, they, they actually had a backdoor and then followed a very complex uh, series of steps, including a custom dropper, uh, custom-made domains for the command and control communication. You have very, very advanced attacks, which again, we all owe a, a debt of gratitude to FireEye for recognizing their own compromise and opening this up wide open for everybody to hunt for. Otherwise, it would have probably even taken much longer, but they got Department of Homeland Security, Department of Energy, Microsoft, so many large organizations that should be difficult to get to. So we've got that kind of as this top-level track of nation state activity. But then we have ransomware as a service emerging, which is kind of this, this higher evolution of cybercrime, where you end up with tools providers creating these really, really powerful tool sets. We saw it with DarkSide and the Colonial Pipeline attack. We see it all over the place with Revil, in, including JBS and meat, meat processing and you know, critical, critical things being disrupted. But it's this weird dynamic where you have sanctuary being granted to these highly sophisticated, very, very advanced cyber criminals creating tools, maybe just a little bit below what we'd see in a nation state space, but then packaging those up as tools and services and platforms that are then consumed by much lower tier uh, cyber criminal actors, making them much, much more powerful than they would be on their own. So we have this supply chain, and, and it's enabled by the same adversaries that are sometimes attacking us outright, but it's going through these layers, giving it a degree of, you know, what would you call it, like a plausible deniability type factor. Um, but as we're seeing, uh, a lot of key leaders, in, including you know, our president, are looking at that and kind of raising the flag to say, hey, hey no, this, this isn't okay. Well, I had this conversation with James Azar. Um, he's out of Atlanta and he does the Cyber Hub podcast and he's a 
good friend of ours and um, we, we were, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago and we were talking a little bit. I try to always imagine what it looks like, you know, on the other side. And I, and I saw you on LinkedIn, make a comment. There was somebody wrote an article. What do we actually know about the dark side ransomware operators? And I find that really fascinating because we just talked about like, they're just, they're like us. They go to a job every day, you know, they get up, check in and, um, Enlighten us a little bit, because I know you were really moved by that article. Can you kind of take us, you know, through that? And and what do we really know about the dark side ransomware operators? Well, I'm glad you brought it up, Kim, because there's been a lot of misconception. A lot of these attacks, people have been labeling, you know, even even people who are relatively, you know, well-educated and knowledgeable in cyber overall have been posting like, oh, dark side did this. Revil did this. Well, no, no, Darkside and Revil to pick the two the two biggest ones lately, and obviously Darkside's reorganizing. But they made the tools, the platforms, the services, they they provided the the ransomware as a service platform. And, and it's it's a really powerful platform. You know, you end up you end up with, with droppers, you end up with payment methods, you end up with with even customer service aspects all put together in a very well-organized package that makes it very difficult to defend against. And then we compare that to also trends in intrusion in general of, of you know, we, we honored the late John McAfee for his brilliant innovations decades ago. Of, hey, we can look for a bad file. We know this hash was bad. We can now find it and block it, you know, going back 20 years in the endpoint antivirus game to now um, often, if there is a file, it's a lightweight dropper that's repackaged each time, so you can't hunt for the hash. There are there are things you can hunt for, but from from initial intrusion, very quickly, it's live off the land techniques. It's it's WMI calls, it's PS exec, it's remote PowerShell, it's doing doing an LSAS read to get credentials from memory, uh, and then using that to pivot laterally using things like RDP and SSH with powerful accounts that just happen to be running on that host. And obviously there's a mixture of vulnerabilities and exploitation and just misconfiguration that weave together. And these tools and frameworks make it easier to package up and use these types of exploits to very effectively move through an organization with great, great and devastating impact. So we were also talking about operating systems you know and microsoft has had you know a tremendous amount of issues but they've done very very well in fixing their issues but do you see us going in a in a place where other countries are going to have their own operating systems to be able to shut shut the doors down shut the borders down so um over information technology over the internet uh, how, how do you see that progressing well, there have been a lot of projects to create a more secure OS. And then obviously, if it's sponsored by a country, I could see that country wanting an angle or a corner on that. But there's a lot of deeper problems with that. One is um, we, we have a great deal of infrastructure and reliance on the operating systems we use today. Most organizations have hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of servers running software that, that run on the operating systems that are out there today, many workstations. Then when you look at it, it's millions and millions of lines of code 
that, that people rely on in interdependencies that I don't think are very easy to replace. I do believe we build the operating system different from the ground up. I believe, uh, you know, Roger Grimes has done some great, great uh, present, you know, posts lately about the idea of being able to, to uh, even build the internet, a new internet that's more secure. And I think that could be a good idea. But it, it's it's a rather intractable problem in terms of how to get from here to there without disruption. And I'm not sure the answer is for each company country to do it alone. Um, I, I think it, it'll be a, need to be a pretty big project if we ever you know, build from the ground up again. Yeah, and we definitely uh, love Roger Grimes. He he he's from No Before, and he has done a couple of events with us and. Um, he definitely is someone to follow because um, he he has a lot of answers to a lot of the questions that we talk about. As a matter of fact, I should probably try to have him on this show. But um, so going, you know, going back to the misinformation and the disinformation, how do you can you give because this show is called and security for all. Mm -hmm. I like to go back to the basics a little bit. So give some of our listeners on voice America an idea how one of these are an example, not an idea, an example, how one of these things leads up to cyber crime that ultimately could, you know, make you vulnerable to a ransomware attack. Well, ultimately, you know, backing up to, we could split this a few different ways. Obviously, as a user, it's harder and harder. You know, back up your data to cloud services, have offline backups of things that you don't want in cloud services, update your operating systems, your software, only run what you need, have a good antivirus, have a good edge firewall, even if you're at home, I've got mine behind me. You know, th these things are kind of for the home side. For the, for the organizational side, we really have to do a better job at a few things. And, and I think the small to medium business market and the smaller part of state, local government, water treatment facilities have been obviously point of reference. They have it a lot harder, but I think we need to break it apart into manageable pieces. The first thing we have to do is realize what the critical controls are, the minimum essential things, you know, going back to basics and deploy those controls and configure them properly and for organizations too small to have a dedicated security team, they need to bring in a trusted advisor, an expert to help get these things set up and support them. Then once you've got the proper controls, there's obviously you know, reducing attack surface, vulnerability management, you know, patching, discovery, finding misconfigurations and fixing them in the environment, you know, working your way in from, hey, what's, what are the, the internet names, the DNS exposed to the internet? What are the websites, the IPs behind them? How could those be a path in? And then what are the users, the email accounts? You know, how can a malicious email, a phishing email, a malicious attachment, a drive-by download reach a user? And then on one hand, what are the security controls stopping that? On the other hand, what are the, what are the controls that on, on the user side in terms of awareness to help people to be a little smarter? You know, Howard Gardner gave us the concept of multiple intelligences. Well, I think it's time to add one more now of like a, a CQ or a cyber quotient. And now everybody in society has to be somewhat cyber aware, just like you have to have road awareness if you wanna operate in a society where you drive everywhere. Um, so I think, and then obviously the last piece, uh, a, another great, great mind that, that we should all follow is Harlan Harvey, a great author and, and 
posts a lot of cool stuff as well. You know, he talks about in, in across multiple posts about the idea that we're not always going to succeed. We're going to fail sometimes. So we have to have good response, investigative DFIR procedures to effectively deal with when we fail. We need to learn to fail more and more gracefully. So backing up a little bit. So, you know, if if I were a CEO or I was someone on the board and I was listening to all the things that you just said, it would be very, very confusing for them. I happened to be at a um, party last night. It was a graduation party and there was a CEO of a pretty large company here in St. Louis. And they're, you know, I'm not going to name who it is, but their cybersecurity team is it's it's i I'm afraid for them, you know, so, mm-hmm. so how do you create that kind of urgency in a more of a um, terminology that's just, I mean, that's so way over their head that they're not going to understand yeah. the importance of putting, you know, um, something in place to keep them safe. So how, what would you, you say? Know- the, the executive visibility piece is so important, Kim, and I brought, glad, I'm glad you brought it up. And also educating users, we really do need to know when to use our technical jargon for precision of communication, but then when to set it aside. And if we really look at it, every type of attack can be made very simple. It all comes down to a threat actor that circumvents a control, something that's supposed to stop them, to exploit a vulnerability. It could be in a system or a user. To, to accomplish an objective. So really four boxes can explain just about everything in cyber. And those can even be simplified and, and easily mapped out on a whiteboard. And then the types of attacks can be made very simple too. Across everything we talk about, you really have two types of attacks. Those that involve user interaction, um, which obviously we break those out into phishing, drive-by downloads, so on and so forth, not with an executive. And then we have attacks without user inter- interaction, you know, hardening that external attack surface. So when we break that down for an executive, we'll talk about, hey, there's bad emails. Hey, we've got websites people want to do bad things to. We've got to protect the people communicating bad stuff into us, uh, into users, educate the users, protect the systems. And then we need to, to, to uh, then actually also uh, protect against the attacks that don't involve the user. They just involve the internet and a system. I've found when I communicate it that way, um, even the executives at small to medium businesses usually can connect at it. And then the, then they'll start to ask more specific questions like, okay, well, what products and services do this? What products and services do that? Or what products are people trying to sell me that are like a level four maturity advanced and I'm trying to get to level 1.5. I should just not even, not even entertain it. Does that does that kind of help at all, or do you think that would resonate with some, Kim? I do, but would you? If so, we know after the Colonial Pipeline attack happened, you know the CEO came out and said, you know, we weren't prepared. So if you had to do some sort of, you know, recap of what could they have done to make sure that this that wouldn't have happened, what would your advice to them be? Well, my advice to them could be one simple sentence that would break into a bunch of different things. And that would be to fund, resource, and prioritize properly a robust and complete cybersecurity program. 
that's something a CEO and CFO can understand. And you could kind of put a number to it after a quick assessment. Hey, here's the 85 or 200 page report we just did. And it included the obvious things such as, you know, weak VPN credentials that were publicly available, those types of things. But it also included, would, would include, um, it would include a holistic programmatic element. But what they need to know is a bottom line, like, hey, here's your CapEx projects. Here's the roles you need to hire. And then the, the, behind it, we have job descriptions, project charters, all that. And then, so we move on. It, it, would you say the same thing with, um, well, here, I'm going to take it to a different place. Mm -hmm. So last night, when I was talking to the person that is in charge of their their risk, it wasn't even an IT, it wasn't even an IT name. It was like their risk assessments at this company. And it's a pretty large company. And one of his comments was, well, we have cybersecurity insurance. And I was like, well, I don't think that Ooh. you should count on that. You know, <laughs> so um, what, what would your statement be on that? My, my reply, especially, it sounds like it's probably at a happy hour mixer type event. My mm -hmm. reply to that would be, I have life insurance too, but I don't really want to use it. Uh, you know, that, that's something that uh, hopefully just ages out and never gets used. Cyber insurance is the same way. I mean, if you get a check at the end of having your company down for four weeks and your brand tarnished and, uh, you know, all, all of your next two years, primary objectives disrupted to just survive, uh, you know, the, the paltry check you get at the end of it really won't quite cut it. Yeah. So going into, you know, talking a little bit more, like let's, let's just purely talk about disinformation for a few minutes. Um, and, and kind of talking about the theme that you covered last week, can you again, cause I, I still don't think that we've talked enough about disinformation in this program. So can you try to cover a little bit of that? Of what you because I mean I'm asking you to take what you did in 50 minutes and put it into a few minutes so can you try yeah, ab yeah. absolutely um, hopefully this time the 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 uh, internet gods are kind to us but <laughs> yes, basically, <please. laughs> basically if we look at it a lot of cognitive psychologists you know from Leon Festinger all the way to um, Amos Tversky, Daniel Kahneman, have done a tremendous body of work to show that as human beings, our cognition is flawed. We have vulnerabilities. You know, on, in tech circles, we talk all the time about the loaded, latest remote code execution vulnerability on a Windows host, you know, on, on a version of Apache Struts. Well, we have remote code execution vulnerabilities on our mind. You know, we have fear, hate, anger, biases. I won't get into a Yoda quote there, but we're all thinking it, right? So, so basically, if we look at malware, malware, software in general, it's just a series of ideas. It's our ideas that are actualized on hardware to carry out our will upon machines. That's what software is. Well, similarly, our cognitive software, our cognition, our learning and processing and ideas that, that we use to operate our daily lives to enact our will uh, on the physical world and interact with others. But what happens when a bad idea hits? Well, a bad idea can actually give a similar remote code execution 
that we would call an amygdala hijack. And when we really look at it, we have a lot of heuristics and biases and innate wiring that are really, really adapt for that time a bear wanders into my campsite. Whoa, I want vasoconstriction. I want my heart to beat fast. I want lots of cortisol. I'm ready to fight or climb a tree or protect my kids from the bear. That's good. But when I'm in a conference room and somebody challenges one of my ideas or changes the scope of a, a, a project, that's bad. And then when I'm blind to my own vulnerabilities, just like the things, the zero days, the day before Patch Tuesday, um, if they're predictable across large demographics of people, those, those can be wormable, just like we saw Eternal Blue was wormable for things like Wanna Cry and Not Pet Ya. We have our own wormable biases among us. And then of course, what's an attacker wanna do? They wanna get command and control communication they want to maintain persistence in a digital world. Well, it's very, very much the same. The C2 platform, of course, for, for cognitive malware, for bad ideas, for disinformation, are obviously social media, which can become a social media echo chamber where we drift a little bit off course and through anchoring things to the work of Kahneman and Tversky, we understand cognitive dissonance helps, you know, we, we actually establish a new baseline, we re-anchor, we re-anchor, and next thing you know, you have people who 90% agreed, uh, you know, neighbors across the street from each other that are so radically opposed, they're ready to come to blows three months later due to maybe different disinformation campaigns, polarizing them different ways based on different vulnerabilities. So I don't know if that's 50 minutes into five, but uh, that that's my, my best shot at it. Well, um, and we'll come back to that, uh, Christine. Talon, thank you for joining the show. Did she's going back talking about um, cyber insurance? She said, "Good point about insurance for many um, RASS providers. The presence of cyber insurance results into bigger ransom demands. That was something dark side ransomware was often related to as they targeted um, enterprise businesses. What's your comment on that, Mike?" I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. It's absolutely spot on. Um, you know, it, and, and hi, Christian, by the way. It's Christian, great shows, yeah, sorry, Christian. Yeah, I it, Christian. No, no, it's <laughs> great to do shows like this because we always see cool people we know and get to interact with them. But, but no, it's absolutely spot on. And we've seen multiple cyber insurance providers even breached, maybe not even by ransomware operators, but by people who will obviously sell that data to ransomware operators. Um, whether they're the operators of platforms like DarkSide or the smaller affiliate groups. Um, yeah, if, if it's out there that you have X number of dollars in cyber insurance, well, guess, guess what? We know that ransom isn't going to be smaller. It's going to be larger. Well, I mean, that was, I, I can't think of the name of the insurance company out of Chicago that got breached. They, that's what they did. They were the backing of the cybersecurity insurance. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, was it like NSD or something like that? Something. And then here they are. They're they're breached, and now they have all their clients that have cybersecurity insurance. That's that's pretty scary. So that that's just going to be an ongoing, multi-layered, you know, breaches and attacks. So um, I don't I don't know if they're. I I believe that company's still in business. But according to my last guest, they've just kind of taken a low profile after that happened. 
So that's where I went back to. I don't even, you know, according to some other people that I've spoken with, they're saying that cybersecurity insurance is almost, it's going to be just hard to even get because the deductibles, I can only imagine what the deductibles would be and how much is it going to be worth in the end anyway, as you said earlier, when your company is gone and the reputation is gone. So, um, you know, you, you've talked a lot about, you know, I, I talked about this with James Azar. So, you, you know, we talk a lot about um, this disinformation, a lot of negative stuff that's going on. You know, there's I, I hate to even see with John McAfee, you know, there's a there's a lot of propaganda mm -hmm. going on on the Internet about mm -hmm. what happened. That's a shame. You know, I wish he could just rest in peace. And, you know, he he was a great creator. So so let's talk about some of the positive things that are happening that you're seeing in the industry when it comes to cybersecurity and what people are doing to um, not be taken by disinformation and, and trying to put up bigger barriers to keep the attackers away. Well, there's, there's a lot of positive things and I'm glad you brought it up, Kim, because it's so easy to just focus on the negative, but really when we, when we look at it, um, patching works for people too, just like the same solutions we've been pioneering for hardening our systems against the bad ideas of malware and exploitation. Similarly, by educating ourselves, by keeping a more open mind, by trying to get activated less, we can actually begin to inoculate ourselves against being so easily hooked. And I think the one good thing for disinformation is people are now increasingly become becoming aware that it is a real thing. I mean, I know when some of us were talking about this five years ago, and Chris Hagnagy is another person who's done some great talk about this topic over the years, too. I think we've overlapped some. Um, you know, basically, this idea kind of fell on deaf ears years ago, and now, now everybody really is aware of it. Similarly, on the cyber defense side, um, information sharing was, was really something in the beginning when we started working on it. And shout out to Frank Grimmelman and Arizona Cyber Threat Response Alliance. I mean, we, a lot of us have been working on this for years and there was resistance to sharing information and collaborating. You know, with, with the SolarWinds attack, with a lot of these recent ransomware attacks, the community, the collaboration, the coming together and the societal level recognition that this is a problem we need to deal with together and we're all in it together uh, is huge. And the moving away from victim shaming is huge, right? Like I, I actually thought Colonial did a, a great job in their testimonial and, and, and in their conversations before Congress on that event, they were transparent, they were open, they talked about mistakes, they talked about what they, do, they were doing well, and they talked about next steps. I think that one thing we need to be aware of is on the whole, this is a battle. The enemy is resourceful and we're going to fail a lot. So instead of victim shaming or trying to hide it or sweep it under the rug, what we really need to try to do is share the, the, the TTPs, the IOCs, the, the, basically the metrics coming out of these attacks. We need to share them with each other. We need to make, we need to communicate openly and the wonderfully positive news of the past six months to a year is that's really happening and it's being recognized in government, it's being recognized in the private sector, and I'm seeing collaboration like I've never seen it before in this industry. So it's, that part's so exciting. 
Well, and I definitely think that COVID, you know, um, pivoted things a lot quicker as far as where we are today. And I was kind of sitting there thinking when you were talking about disinformation, I remember being on a flight coming home from RSA in 2020, sitting next to this guy that had just came from a healthcare conference in Vegas. And he, and this is when COVID was just coming out and he was saying, this is, you know, some plot that the Russian, that China is doing to take down the U S economy. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, right. You know, well, what, look what happened, you know, little did I know that that was going to play out, but the good news, I mean, the sad news are all the people that died obviously through COVID, but you know, there's a lot of good things that came out of COVID and some of it was just these conversations that we're having. We were all so busy and just run, run, run. And um, now that we've all had to communicate the way that we're communicating, what are some of the positive effects that you're seeing out of the last year and a half? Well, it really, you know, again, I, I, I love that we pause to recognize those who've died because that part's just tragic and it remains tragic in much of the world. I mean, we're, we're blessed to be making some forward progress uh, in the United States, but it's tough. Um, but many good things came out, of, uh, came out of it and necessity really is the mother of invention. Um, whether you look at healthcare uh, innovation and, and bringing a vaccine, you know, three effective vaccines to market with lightning speed and, and, and ac- efficacy and quality um, was just miraculous. And I think it better prepares us for the future. And then obviously on, on the technology side, remote workforce. I mean, here I am at home having this conversation and I got back two extra hours today not commuting into the office. Now, some of us are tired of being at home all the time and we're going in more, we're interacting more. And that's, it's nice that we now have the flexibility to do both. And we all both recognize that you can be effective remote. And I think we're hitting a maturity as a technology enabled workforce in society where we recognize some things are better remote, some things are better in person. And and as we manage to hopefully uh, win the battle against COVID, we, we can reach a point where we can do the best of both worlds. So I, I think that's been nothing short of miraculous. I agree. And as we, when you had your little technical difficulty and I was filling in, I was, I was telling our audience that, you know, we are getting ready to go back out to the, you know, back out to events again, but at least, you know, we're not going to go back full force. You know, we're, we're, we are going back full force in August and that was a little unplanned, but the way we have our schedule next year is, um, you know, we do a couple of live events and then we have a virtual event. So now there's not the burnout factor of my team traveling all over the country and we still have a hybrid part of our events so we can have um, our attendees that are CISOs like you that can't they don't have the time to come out all day but we give them the opportunity to you know be at the sessions they can be at and then we give them another week to watch anything that they need because everybody needs educational credit. So it's just been pretty awesome to see how innovative we have um, progressed. We would have never, this would have never happened. And of course, you know, I do personally know some people that passed from COVID and it's very sad Mm. and it's just thank, thank heavens we got the vaccination and, um, 
there's there's still issues out there, but things are it's nice to be able to see on LinkedIn groups of people that you and I would know that we, we know in the industry that they're there in person and they're, you know, shaking hands. And it, it's it's nice to start seeing the human side. It's nice to see people take their mask off and smile to see smiles again. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. We're down to uh, almost uh, two minutes. So what would you like, if you could take the next minute and just leave, you know, what would you like to say to our listeners? Some of the things that, you know, we covered today and maybe something they can take away with today's show. Well, I would leave people with the fact that there's a commonality between our problems with bad ideas affecting our information systems and bad ideas affecting people and then the interconnection between the two so i feel like you know patch your systems harden your defenses but then also let's elevate our thinking let's add greater scrutiny let's orient ourselves to facts whether whether it's facts and data and quality information with how we build our cyber defense strategy or with how we approach our day-to-day life and interact with each other and what we believe about what we read on the internet. And Mike, how can people um, find you and what is the best way if people had questions for you to reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, on LinkedIn. And um, I'll also go ahead and put my, uh, my newly established uh, uh, non-cyber research Twitter handle out, out there, Crude Solutions. And um, so, and, and I'm I'm one of the early ones. So, uh, basically, my LinkedIn profile is really easy to find. Uh, so, uh, it's and, my and what was this other thing that you just said? It was called what? Um, my, my new Twitter handle I'm putting out there is Crude Solutions, uh, spelled crudes like the movie. You know, again, kind of with the messaging of, hey, we can come up with things that are fun and easy. Not everything has to be difficult to to move the needle. Well, that's awesome. And so, um, Mike uh, Manrod, CISO of Grand Canyon University, our education, thank you so much for joining the show today. We look forward to uh, seeing you out there live soon at a live event. So, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and remember to all of our f- viewers if you get an email from Elis App. Enders, app enders. We uh, we will tag that when we post this. FutureCon does not sell our emails. This is a fake, and it is disinformation or misinformation or both. So, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. Make sure you go check us out on any of your favorite po- podcast stations. We have lots of great um, past events, and we have some great um, events. Not not past events of past guests. Go check those out. We'll see you next week. Everyone have a wonderful, safe weekend and go outside and enjoy yourself. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.